0: Hi, everybody. All right. We are in part three of a series called Table Talk. And that's basically our way of saying we're going through the book of Luke, chapter 14. There we go, chapter 14. And we broke it into three sections. There's the first part, middle part, and the bottom, the last part. And uh, the reason we're calling this Table Talk is because the majority of this chapter takes place at a dinner table, at a banquet, where Jesus is talking to some religious people. And so, uh, let's. Today, we're going to be looking at verses twenty-five through thirty-five. All right. So, let me recap. What's, what we, so, if this is your first time with us, or if you've missed us, or you know, missed part of the the series, I'm just going to update you on what's been going on. Um, so, in the first section of Luke chapter fourteen, Jesus is having this conversation with these religious people, and these religious people are saying like. they're basically talking as if the main goal in their life is to work up the ladder of the religious order. Okay, and then the second section of the Bible, uh, of the Bible, of Luke chapter 14, uh, these people, as they're having a conversation, Jesus basically tells them, if you think this is what it's all about, if you think it's all about just gaining as much as you can so that so that you know god would say hey well done you pharisees for you know working up the religious ladder it's like you've got it all wrong so the recap is basically this jesus shared his frustration about people who want to be blessed but not participate in his mission these people are saying yeah you know god has blessed me with all this money or god has blessed me with all this health or all this power or all this influence and the fact that they're using it as a way to boast themselves and not help the people that God has called them to help, Jesus is saying, I'm so frustrated with you. That middle section of Luke chapter 14 is basically Jesus being vulnerable, saying, you know what it feels like to be God? It hurts. It feels like I'm being used. He's saying, I feel rejected that I would do my part of the promise. The, the, you know, we made a deal. Like I will bless you so you could bless other people. i like, had been blessing you, and it turns out you're just using me right you want to know what it feels like to be God it feels like I'm embarrassed I'm ashamed I feel misrepresented by the people who promised to 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 serve the world through me Um, I feel frustrated another way of saying this is I feel heartbroken we I thought we had a relationship here but instead what you're doing is you're just using me this and so the meal comes to an end Jesus gets up and he leaves this dinner and as he's leaving the people who are in the room, some of the people in the room, and the people who crowd around the house to hear Jesus talk, they start following him. And as he's leaving this place, this is where we pick up the story. This is how it goes. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. So Jesus is turning to them. Remember, he's still kind of like frustrated, right? He's like turning to them. This is what he said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. To which I'd say, Jesus, I thought this was a movement of love. Well, why are you talking about hating people? Like, don't you think that's kind of contradictory, Jesus? Uh, are you sure you meant, maybe you're just like, you know, angry and that's why you're, no, no, I meant what I said. You need to hate mother and father. You need to, you, you got to hate your immediate family. It's like, oh, that-, that doesn't make sense. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then he says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Carry the cross. Let me kind of interpret for you guys what this meant in those days. Um, Today, some people, not all of you, well, some people would say that the worst thing that could happen to you is to be killed, is to be murdered, or to to die. In those days, that was not the worst thing you could wish upon your enemy, because the worst thing, because let's just say you stood for something and then you got killed doing that. You're dying as a martyr, and therefore that's not such a bad thing. Your movement carries on. But the worst thing that could happen to you, and there's like writings in ancient Hebrew, like uh, writings back then that even say things like this, which says, the worst thing you could wish upon your enemy is to put them to shame. Because if they're put to shame, any word they say has no more weight. Like if you got caught doing something you're not supposed to do, right? And you stand there and you make a statement, no matter how true that statement is, People are going to say, yeah, but consider the source. Look, this person, you know, like, you lose all credibility in society if you have shame. So shame was the worst thing that could happen to you back then. And so the Roman Empire, who were trying to take over the world, basically, at the time, they basically said this. They said, what we're going to do is we're going to reintroduce, there's an old, you know, this, this, this form of death, a death penalty that was created by the Persians, but we're going to reintroduce it in a worse way called crucifixion. And what this is, is that we're gonna hang somebody on the cross, but not just that, their way to the cross is as humiliating as it can be. When you're on the cross, you're naked, everybody's gonna be walking past you, spitting on you. Like, not are you gonna be killed, you're also gonna be put to shame, so that anything you stood for, nobody else will wanna pick up on that. I mean, just imagine, if you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus who died on the cross, and they're like, the guy that was dying naked on the cross, really? It's like, oh, no, never mind. I'm not part of that. I mean, this is the worst thing that could happen to you. So, Jesus at this point is saying, you know, you need to, <clears throat> if you want to come be my disciples, you have to hate your family. And not only that, he says, and you have to be ready to let go of everything that you stand for. You have to be ready to be put to shame. You have to be ready to lay your life down. And you're like, wait a minute. <clears throat> Jesus is telling us to hate others. I don't understand, what, what is Jesus talking about here? And so the scholar, his name is A. T. Wright, he put it this way, he said, well, if you were to look at Jesus as a friend who says you need to hate your family, you need to hate everybody, you gotta hate your own life. It's like, he sounds like a jealous friend, like, or a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, hey, Kotz, who are you talking to? Uh, just some girl from a long time ago. Like, oh well. What did you talk about? I'm like, well, we're just you know, catching up. It's like, oh, well, you need to stop talking to her because you can't have any friend because I'm enough for you. You know, like, okay, my wife is not like that. This is <laughs> one of my ex-girls. Anyways, okay. <laughs> but right, but... <laughs> You don't know which one I'm talking about. Anyways, okay. <laughs> okay, no, but it sounds like a really bad, jealous friend, right, a jealous friend who says like, you should have no other friend but me because that's all that matters, right? And it's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus sounds like a really jealous friend. Is this who our God is? Is this who we're supposed to follow? Or and in another instance, NT right, he says, or it, do you seem like as a politician, like somebody running for office, like somebody running for president, you know? Like, because that's not a really good pitch. Like, hey, if you want to vote for me, if you want me to be your president, then, then you need to, you know, hate your family and you need to get, you know, carry your cross. Like, that's not even a good pitch, right? So what is Jesus trying to do here? And so NT Wright, he puts it into this perspective that I think will, fit, will help us understand what he's trying to do here. He says this, supposing instead of a politician, we think of the leader, him as a leader of a great expedition, Let's go on. He says, forging a way through a high and dangerous mountain pass to bring urgent medical aid uh, to villagers cut off from the rest of the world. He says, if you see Jesus in this statement right here, he made right here, not as a politician, not as a jealous friend, but more as a person who's trying to lead a group of people to help out a village that really needs medical aid right then i think he'll start to understand more what jesus is trying to do here next part he says if you want to come any further the leader says you'll have to leave your packs behind from here on out the path is too steep to carry all that stuff you probably won't find it again he said don't get attached to your things because if you do you might not be able to finish the journey and then he says this he says and you better send your last postcard home this is a dangerous route.'" And it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. And then he concludes this section by saying this. We can understand that, can't we? If we were to say that that's what Jesus was trying to accomplish, we totally get that. I mean, we may not like the sound of it, but we can see why it would make sense. These scholars are saying what Jesus is telling us to do is not like, if you want to follow me, you can't have any other person to love but me. He's not saying... Being a Christian equals hating your family. That's not what he's saying here. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the whole thing about hate your family, this is what he says. He says, Jesus is not denying the importance of close family. He thinks it's a great thing. It's a movement of love. Family is important. But when there is an urgent task to be done, as there now is, then everything else, including your own life, one's own life, must be put at risk for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is saying that there is this urgent call to fix the broken world the world has fallen apart and he's saying we need people to come fix the world with me who's with me and by the way if you're gonna come with me you're gonna miss out on some of the things that you hold close to your heart and so don't get attached to them I mean this call isn't for everybody is it because a lot of us we're just attached to things that we just love these are our treasures what he's trying to say here is this if you follow Jesus you are now a part of something greater than yourself This isn't about you. I've heard people say this. They say, hey, if you want to be a Christian, I'll give you joy. God will give you blessings. God will do this for you. And yes, those things are true. But that's not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is not to make you more comfortable. The goal of Christianity is not so that one day I could have some benefits that I wouldn't have had if I didn't follow Jesus. Yes, that's a part of it, but that's not the goal of it. I heard that if I follow Jesus, I'll have heaven at the end. Yes, sure, that's great. But if that's the reason why you're following Jesus, he says, you can't be my disciple. What he's saying, rather, is this. He says, sometimes an attachment to your treasures will get in the way of participating in God's mission. So what's your treasure? Jesus says, if your treasure is your family, and one day God says, I need you to do something that's going to be crazy. And you know what? You might not be able to come back to your family one day, which was the case in the first century. Because for being a Christian back then meant persecution. And you might be pulled away from your family. You might be executed, never be able to see your family again. He says, and you're doing this for a great cause. And if that attachment to this treasure that you have is going to keep you from doing this thing that I'm calling us to do to fix this world, then he says, you cannot be fully devoted to what I'm about to ask you to do. If, if He said, like, if your treasure is yourself, he says, yeah, be ready to carry that cross. If your treasure is success, maybe one day God's going to say, today, instead of going to that extra meeting that will help you in your career, today, I need you to go home and spend time with your family because that's what the kingdom of God requires you to do. For you to say, But my treasure is my business my treasure is my success i can't let go of it he says then you can't be my disciple because i'm going to ask you to do something that's far greater than this because you're now a part of something greater than yourself maybe your treasure is your comfort there's somebody outside that's cold why don't you go out there and help that person oh but i'd like it warm i like it inside i don't like to get wet you know he says well if you're attached to your comfort then maybe this movement isn't for you maybe it's your pride maybe god's called you to do something that makes sense in your mind but in practice you realize it's going to totally embarrass you and he says if your treasure is your own pride then i'm sorry it's going to be really hard to follow me this is all for the sake of jesus's mission so the question is this what is jesus's mission what is he asking us he's asking us to give up so much for this mission what is that mission And if you've been following us through the book of luke you'll know that his mission is this heaven on earth that god has a kingdom right kingdom meaning god whatever god has full control over right and we have our kingdom what we have control over and he says what he wants one day is for all of heaven and all of earth to come together right so that what he wants on earth is what we want on earth and that's what i want you to do and this this heaven on earth The Bible uses different terminologies to describe this. Like sometimes, like the Apostle Paul calls it new creation. Maybe you heard people talk about that. Heaven on earth is new creation. Some people call it eternal life. Some people call it the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, right? But the words that they use to describe this are words like goodness, beauty, justice, freedom. And Jesus is saying, don't you want a world where goodness reigns? Don't you want a world where there's beauty all around? That when you look at a group of people, you realize that there's justice. That there is nobody who's being left to the side. Don't you want a world where people are free to do what they're called to do? Don't you want a world like that? He says, and that world is what I'm trying to make make happen here on this earth. But it's not going to happen if you're attached to these treasures. And he's like, these religious people that I just had a meal with. They're in this whole system because they just want treasures. They just want blessings from God, but they don't want to do anything about the problems in the world. So he's saying, I hope that this crowd is following me now. If you want to be my followers, if you want to be my disciples, you have to be ready to let go of these treasures. And so what Jesus is asking here is this. He's saying, what are you willing to sacrifice for a world of goodness, beauty, justice, and freedom? And if we were to turn that question around to Jesus and ask him, well, what did you give up, Jesus, for this world of goodness, beauty, justice, and freedom, he would say, I give up myself. I died on the cross. I'm, I give up everything. You know how shameful it is to die on the cross? You know how painful it is to be flogged in the back? Do You know what it feels like to be the very nature of God and then come down and below humanity so that he could serve all of humanity? Like, it's like i give up everything because i believe in this mission so much so jesus at that point he's like okay i know this crowd you know the crowd that was around him doesn't really understand everything i'm teaching so he's going to give you some illustrations and so he goes on and ta- starts talking about this suppose one of you wants to build a tower as one does i guess <laughs> you know you know but back then <laughs> building a tower like a watchtower was was a sign that you were wealthy I mean, imagine if you're living in a small village and you both started building a tower and you have the tallest building, right? And you live in there. You're safe, number one, because people aren't going to attack you. Number two, you can see everybody in town. It's just a sign of prominence and power, right? So suppose you were building a tower because you have the money to do that, right? Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it, why, what's the worst that could happen, Jesus? Well, next verse. (laughs) He says, well, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began a building to build um, and wasn't able to finish. The, 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 the dichotomy he's creating here is really interesting. He's saying you're trying to build this building because then you'll be like at the top of your village, right? You're like most powerful guy, rich guy. Every time you walk by, it's like, dude, check out this guy's place. It's like huge, right? The reason you're building it is because you want people to recognize you. But because you couldn't finish it, now you're even worse than you were when you, before you started building this thing right he's like don't you want to actually count the cost to make sure that you're going to be able to finish this project before you start it anyone's like yeah jesus of course no one wants to be ridiculed it's like okay well next example or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king now if a king were to wage war against another king that's their way of saying we're stronger than you we're going to take over your kingdom so we're going to go to war okay won't he first sit down and consider what uh, consider whether he is able uh with ten thousand men to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand men? Like, so he goes to war, he's like, Yeah, we got ten thousand men, let's go to war, we're gonna show how strong we are. And as they line up on both sides of the battlefield, they're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, they have twice as much as we do. Right? And then he says this if he is not able to win, right, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace what began as an effort to show dominance over another group of people so that you'll be high up you realize when you see the other side that you're actually this little he says when you see the other group being a lot lot bigger than yours twice as big as your group don't you want to send somebody like in braveheart you know you meet in the middle and they work it out and if they work it out they're like okay cool you know right but if not they fight but um he's like wouldn't it be wise to actually look for peace instead of waging war you could be aiming for the highest level of acceptance in society but that will lead you to the lowest part and so what jesus is saying here is this he's saying these pharisees that i just had meals with these these religious people who thought that the the game that they were supposed to play was to see how far up they can make it up the ladder of of the religious order he says These people thought they were accumulating the blessings of God, and that's the name of the game. But what they're going to find out at the end of the story is that that's the wrong game. They're not supposed to be playing that game, that they're actually going to be at the very bottom. And he says, are you, the people who are following me right now, are you guys going to play the right game? The game is how much can you bless the people around you? And so he says this. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, everything you have cannot be my disciples. Are we playing this game of how much can God bless me? How much can God make me feel good? How much can God make me feel like I'm loved? And these are all good things. I hope that we all experience this. But the problem here is if it just stops there, like, yes, God gave me these things great. If it just stops there, God gave me success. If it just stops there, he says, then you're playing the wrong game you have to take the blessings that God has given you and that you're using that to bless the people around you who need the blessings. Maybe God's giving you a higher education. And if you're like, yes, that's what I'm doing because I could get to the top and I could be rich and that's okay. But if it's just for you and not for the people around you, then he says, then you're playing the wrong game. You're aiming to be at the high place, but at the end of the story, you're going to be at the lowest. So if you're not ready to give up the things that you consider your treasures, you cannot be a part of this movement. You cannot be my disciple. These religious people were trying to gain honor by hoarding the blessings, but at the end of the story, he says, be careful, these people are going to be ridiculed. And then Jesus makes a comment that seems out of left field. Is it right field? Out of that field that no one talks about? Okay, and it, but it's still in line with what we're talking about. This is what he says salt is good like who's talking about salt jesus right salt is good now let me stop right there salt now you've heard people say if you've been going to church you heard people say that church you know, like oh christians are the salt of the earth yes that's what the bible says but before christians received that title as being the salt of the earth the people in the old testament the people of god were the jews were considered to be the salt of the earth so he's talking to those people right now he says you people from israel you jews you you were the salt of the earth and salt is good." but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He says, the very thing that I've called you to do, you're not doing. It's like, these religious people has failed us. They failed me. And he says, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, and I'll explain that in a second because I had to look that up. <laughs> it is thrown out. Okay, so this is what I learned. When it comes to putting salt on soil, what it does is it helps makes the soil into fertilizer fertilizer helps things grow right when it comes to manure pile sometimes weeds start growing out of the manure pile and you throw salt on it to make the plants dry up so it dies really fast so what he's saying here is you jewish religious leaders you had one job and the job was this you were supposed to help nurture the things that are good that is from god you're supposed to help it grow Right, by creating manure, right, by creating fertilizer. But at the same time, if you see weeds growing out, it was your job to make sure that it died really fast. That was your thing, to, to keep heaven on earth and the hell on earth, I want you to just destroy. That was your job. That was your job, and um, yeah, you didn't do that. So the question I have for you is, can salt that's lost its saltiness, can it be made salty again? He says, your ties to your treasure is causing you to miss the main point your ties the, the, the fact that you can't let go of the treasures that he's given us he's like that that is causing us to lose our saltiness and then he concludes his speech by saying this whoever has ears to hear let him hear and that's his way of saying if what i just told you doesn't hit home if it doesn't really speak to your heart then i don't know if, I, I don't know who could help you What I feel is happening here, I think, at the core of what Jesus is trying to say is this: that when He's trying to create this world, He's trying to create this world, and He wants to partner with us to create this world. When we're co-creating with Him, this heaven on earth, He's saying, "Co-creating heaven on earth with God is extremely costly. Creating a world of beauty and justice, and a world where people have unity and people, you know, amongst diversity, like, like that stuff." Yeah, you could, w- you could pray for it. You could wish for it, right? You could say how, much, how good it is. But in order to actually make it happen here on earth, it's going to cost somebody something. It's very costly. And what he's saying in the same breath is this. Disciples are those who are willing to pay that price. Are we willing to be a part of this movement? If you are a disciple of Jesus, sometimes it's going to cost you a lot. And the more we're attached to our treasures the less likely we are to pay that price and jesus is saying if you want to be my disciples you have to be willing to let go of the things that are most dear to you and so after jesus dies on the cross and starts you know and just fuels this movement for thousands of years to come i I was looking through the scriptures to see or are there any examples of people who did this and yeah there's like this name guy named paul who's basically done it like the whole time he's in the bible right but i'm like is there like normal people are there other people who were able to let go of their treasures for the sake of this movement for the sake of being a disciple and towards the end of the bible there's a book called philemon and if you don't like reading there's only one chapter so there's only verse they didn't say it does not even say chapter one it just says verse one so um and in that story philemon is basically this rich guy he he owns slaves and back in those days slaves were a little different okay um Slaves is not, some, you're not going to go invade a land and take people and make them your slaves. That's not how it worked back then. At least in Israel, it didn't work that way. The way it worked was, if you are struggling financially, and you, and you can't make your payments, then the person you're indebted to, you become a slave of until you're able to pay that off. So that means that the master in this situation, Philemon, he took money out of his pocket to pay for something, and he never got paid back, and that's why this person, his name is Onesimus, is a slave to Philemon. Okay, that's, that's the story right now. And one day, Onesimus takes off, runs away, runaway slave, right? And he ends up in jail somewhere where he meets Paul, the apostle, who was also in jail, and they had this conversation. And as they're talking, Onesimus is like, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to buy into whatever that you're talking about here. And he's like, that's great. The first act is, I need you to go back to your master, to Philemon. And, that, and it's like, well, I... How am I supposed to face him? And Paul's like, don't worry. I know finally I'm going to write a letter. You go back to your master with this letter, and everything's going to be fine. So that's that letter that we're going to be looking at right now. This is verse 12. It says, I'm sending him, that's Onesimus, who is my very heart back to you. It's like, while we were in prison together, we became bros. Like, we we got really close, right? I would have liked uh, to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. He says... I wish I could just keep Onesimus for myself because I know that together we could do some amazing things. We could do things for Jesus that, that you know, I, could do, I could do better with them than if I were to just do it by myself. But I, I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. It's like what I'm about to ask you to do, Philemon, I'm not going to force you to do this. This only works if you say, yeah, I'm willing to do it. Like if this is voluntary on your part. So I'm not going to tell you what to do, although I am like, you know, older than you, and I am like the Paul, (laughs) you know. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just want you to to know that you have the freedom to do whatever you want. You need to do this voluntarily because you are connected to Jesus. Perhaps, he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Like, you know, maybe the reason he ran away was part of God's plan. He ran away, met me, now he's coming back to you, and now he could be with you not because he's obligated to be with you, but he could be with you forever because he's now your brother. Brother, what do you mean brother? I thought he was my slave. He's like, Paul's like, let me explain. He says, no longer as a slave, he's like, this guy's no longer your slave, but better than a slave, he's a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. What Paul is saying here is is mind-blowing. He's saying, I know Philemon, That by accepting him back, not as your slave, but as a brother, you're losing a lot of money that's owed to you. Lots and lots of money. Remember, the reason he's a slave in the first place is because you paid something that he couldn't pay you back, and that's why he owes you, because he owes you now, right? And he says, I want you to make him your brother, meaning the debt that you have for him, just forgive it. And I'm not going to force you to do this. Even though I can, I'm not going to force you to do this. It has to be voluntary because you're a follower of Jesus. And then he says this. So if you consider me a partner, like, you know, you're my friend, right? (laughs) Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He says, remember, this is voluntary. So if you're like, no, I still want my money, like, then I'll pay for it. But I wish you would do this voluntarily. I wish you would take him back as your brother. But if not, don't worry, I'll pay for that, whatever he owes you. Now, we don't know how the story ends up. We don't know. What the, we don't have a follow-up letter on this, right? But knowing that slaves are indebted people to the master, that means that Philemon's in a position right now where if he were to do the right thing because he's, he wants to partner with Jesus to create heaven on earth, the right thing for him to do is to forgive the debt, lose the money, take the loss, and accept him as a brother. So if Philemon's goal was wealth, then this is loss. However, if Philemon's goal was new creation, heaven on earth, then this is gain. This is the point that Paul is making here. And this is the same point that Jesus was making. He's saying, if the goal of your life is to work up the ladder of the religious order, then you're playing the right game. (laughs) Just hoard all God's blessings and don't pass out to anybody else good job you did it right but he's like but that's where your heart that's what you know that that's not the game we're playing the game here is that we're playing is how can you bring heaven on earth how can you contribute to to new creation how can you bring god's kingdom to the people around us and if that's your goal then giving up your wealth is a small price to pay this is why jesus says if you're stuck with your treasures if you're attached to it then you can't be my disciple because you'll always make the wrong decisions. You'll make decisions that doesn't lead us closer to the kingdom of God. You'll take us one step away from being part of the kingdom of God. So we're going to take this and turn it on us. If God asks you to be generous, there's somebody that's in need. Is this to you? Is it a gain or is it loss? Oh man, I just gave up 20 bucks. But but you fed somebody that need it's like, yeah, but I just I was gonna buy something else today, but it's like, well, is that a loss to you or is that a gain to you? Or how about this? If God brought someone that is not like you, if your goal is to be in a homogeneous society, if your goal is to be surrounded by people who are who look just like you, think just like you, act just like you, have a similar background to you, if that's your goal. And then somebody, God brings in somebody into the group that doesn't look like you at all or doesn't think like you. Would you consider that a loss or a gain? You see, you find out where your treasures are really quickly by asking these tough questions, right? Or how about this? If God asked you to change your goals, your future goals, maybe for you students, it's, I think you need to change your major. Or God asked you, hey, you know, um, I know you're enjoying your job right now, but I think that you need to change jobs, lesser paying job. Or, you know, I know you were planning for retirement in a certain way, but is it okay if you live on less for your retirement because I have this other plan? Would you consider that a gain or a loss for you? The question that Jesus is asking is this. What do you value over new creation? Because that's your treasure. And he says, as long as you're connected and attached to that treasure, you're not going to be able to be my disciple. So what do you value more than new creation, heaven on earth, God's kingdom? What is that? And Jesus looked into the crowd and said, for some of you, it's your family. Family's good. Jesus wants people to have good, strong families, healthy families, right? That's a blessing from God. Maybe, is it your health? Is, you know, health is good. I hope everybody here gets healthy, healthier this year, you know, whatever your New Year's resolution is. I hope you eat well, and, you, you know, I, hope, and I hope people have money. You know, I hope you guys don't struggle with money this year. I hope you don't have any of that stuff, because God has blessed you. But if those blessings keep you from the mission of God, then he says, you can't be my disciples. And so in the Christian circle, and also outside of this Christian circle, we use a term, we call this surrender. Are we willing to surrender to Jesus? Are we willing to take a back seat and say, your will be done, not my will be done? Are we willing to say, my comfort is not as important as the world's well-being? If it means that I have to do this so that the world could benefit in this way, then so be it. This is what Jesus is asking, and maybe even some would say is demanding from his disciples. So if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, We have to ask this tough question. What do you value over new creation? What do you value over new creation? So what we're going to do is we're going to close in time of prayer. But during this time of prayer, I want you to really dig deep in your heart. What do you value over new creation? And what can you surrender and say, this is something I'm willing to give up today? God has called me to do this, and I know that the reason I'm not doing that is because I just want to hoard onto this thing that God has given me. What is that thing? And once you figure out what that thing is, once the Spirit says, yeah, I know, knock, knock, your heart, uh, I want to let you know, this is the reason why you're not fully devoted to me. In whatever way you do, I want you to give it up to God today. Amen? All right, let's pray.